Good to have you back here on Sports Talk as we get rolling on a Wednesday afternoon. Two hours with you today on what's getting to be a windier day in El Paso. It started out beautiful, and now it's gotten uh, it's gotten ugly. Again, Steve, we had the winds come last week. They're back again this week. I hope they're. I hope they leave. I hate the winds. It's just not good weather at all here in El Paso. Do you hate the wind more than anything else? Yes, because uh, I like to golf, and anytime it's windy, you just uh, pack up the clubs and you leave the course. All right. Well, all I can tell you is um, we got a lot to cover on the show in two hours today. Been busy. Been busy writing. Uh, been busy. Uh, with everything going on around the radio station around here, we got a busy show today, a lot going on in two hours. In fact, my goodness, guests galore. It's been a good week of guests on Sports Talk. We dropped this one very suddenly uh, yesterday on the program. Troy Aikman's going to join us via Zoom next Tuesday, God willing. We'll get a chance to talk to uh, number eight about his new beer, Eight, that's going to be debuting uh, here uh, in the area probably later next month. I'm excited about that. Excited about having Troikman on the show. That's going to be fun. His That's the first appearance wow. Troikman's ever made on Sports Talk. Um, we interviewed him when he was in El Paso for those controlled scrimmages in the late 90s, but that was ne- that really didn't count because we were like part of a group interview. It wasn't anything you know like this. This is going to be really cool. i got so many things I want to talk to him about. Hey, he's an A-list guy. we got to get A-listers here on Sports Talk, and uh, we'll bring it to you locally, and we'll bring it to you nationally here on the show. That's right. We're also going to meet Utah's newest uh, assistant coach, and uh, that's going to be Coach Barnett, UTEP's new safeties coach for the 2022 football season, who, in fact, is a K-State graduate, stays in the family. Stays in the family, I tell you. Plus, Jay Jaffe later this hour. Jeff Erickson next hour. John Teicher coming up in two hours at Hudson's for UTEP basketball with Joe Golding and Kevin Baker or Kevin Baker and Joe Golding, whatever order you want to say. Sometimes I like to say if the show is called UTEP basketball with Kevin Baker or Joe and Joe Golding, but sometimes Golding's first up, sometimes Baker's first up. You never know who's going to start the show. Yeah, there's a lot to catch up with these two coaches about uh, over this weekend. Uh, for the women's basketball team, they'll have to close out the rest of this year on the road. And for the men, they, they've got three home games and against some of the best teams in Conference USA. So should be a lot to catch up with uh, the two head coaches on later on in the show. God, where do we start today? Where do we start today's show? I'm excited. I don't know. I mean, we're... I wonder where we can go on this show today. There's a lot. There's just a lot to get to, a lot to cover. Um, all right. Well, how about this? First off, this is a cool story. I don't know if people even know this happened last night, but Danny Hurley got tossed yesterday in the first half of his game between um, UConn and Villanova. And you know why that's significant? Former UTEP minor, Kamani Young. When he was here, he was Kamani Jones Young. Now he's Kamani Young. Assumed head coaching uh, duties yesterday, and UConn upset Villanova by a pair, and the fans stormed the court last night after the game. What a moment for Kamani, who had a first opportunity to really take over a team in a huge game against the eighth-ranked team in the country, and did it, you know, and he had a whole half, uh, you know, really what, middle of the first half all the way through to, to deal with this, that's a tough spot for anybody to be in. But Kamani's uh, right now probably mid-40s or so. And I'll tell you what, very, very uh, you know, 
highly thought of uh, coach, and you knew he'd be up to the challenge yesterday. Oh, you definitely did. And uh, that Big East Conference, man, it is so competitive right now. So for UConn to get a upset victory against number eight Villanova yesterday, man, that is a significant win. I mean, you're 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 leading Sports Center with that kind of news, right? you which are. what you're what we saw last night, and uh, you have Providence in that conference, Villanova, Creighton, Marquette, Xavier. There's a lot of great teams in this league, and uh, hey, UConn is among those those good teams in, uh, this year. Here is the opening remarks after the game. You'll enjoy it, folks. This is pretty good. I'll make the first statement and you make one. <laughs> um, yeah, obviously, uh, incredible win and uh, crowd, incredible, like incredible, incredible atmosphere in here. Uh, so uplifting. And, um, you know, for me, it's uh, you know, just a, a huge win for the program. And, uh, you know, what, what a team. You know, what an emerging team, a uh, formidable team that, uh, you know, is, uh, you know, is as good as anyone in this league. And, and um, you know, I think uh, today for me was why I've always in my career been smart enough to hire and, and have, like, the best staff in the country. Um, this guy's one of the best. Uh, he's, one, he's one of the best uh, assistant co- well, associate head coaches in the country. And, uh, and, and the rest of the staff, Luke and Tom and, um, you know, just did an unbelievable job here. But smartest thing I've always done my whole career is recruit uh, incredibly talented young men with unbelievable character that gutted that game out and then hire the absolute best people that I can, the best coaches in the country to work with me. And this guy next to me, I can't say enough about how, how, how unbelievable this guy is at his job. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate that. <clears throat> Ask either one of us, just please. For both of you, if you, if you don't mind, um, start with Kamani being in the bowl. Can you describe what the arena sounded like and felt like and what that meant to you? And, and Dan, if you could share, if you could hear and, tru- and really feel what was going on in the arena from wherever you were watching. Yeah, I guess I'll start. I was out there a little longer than you. <laughs> I, think, I think I experienced it. <laughs> Right, a little bit better than he did, but no, it was a, it was an incredible atmosphere. I mean, this is why we all came to UConn, including myself, every kid that we recruited, every staff members, obviously coach. Reason why he came back to this place. This is an unbelievable place when when we can get it rocking like like it was tonight. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of discourse about obviously where we play and uh, you know and the advantages at both places. Uh, when this place is packed like that, I mean, this. You know, we end up getting the best of both worlds when the place is like that. So there you go. That's just a little a little sound from last night's postgame. By the way, um, and this should be noted, okay, UTEP did reach out to Kamani Young prior to hiring Joe Golding to have a conversation. And Kamani told them the same thing he told me when I reached out to him during the search, and that is, hey, he loves his university. He played here for Don Haskins. He spent four years at UTEP and obviously developed a lot of friends and a lot of relationships, but his coaching career in college has primarily been in Northeast. That's where he's most comfortable. That's where he's been. He's from New York City, 
And ultimately, you know, I think he, he just wants to stay there. And you got to realize, being an associate head coach for Dan Hurley at UConn and having a chance yesterday to step in after Hurley gets tossed in the first half and beat Villanova, that's a big deal. That's a big, big deal. And Kamani's going to get a chance to be a head coach sooner rather than later. It's going to happen for him. But more than likely, Adrian, it probably will happen somewhere in the northeast part of the country as opposed to uh, a place uh, like his alma mater at UTEP where he hasn't been back in any basketball capacity since his playing days. And the biggest thing is recruiting, right? Because he's not going to, it's going to be really difficult if he were to come to UTEP and try to recruit players from the Northeast, uh, the relationships that he's built way out there. So I would say, yeah, he's probably looking for, uh, you know, proximity wise, if he were to look for a head coaching job, probably something in the, somewhere in the Northeast where he feels way more comfortable recruiting the best players out there. Also found it very, very weird, Steve, and bizarre that uh, Dan Hurley got tossed for essentially pumping up the crowd yesterday. Yeah. I thought that was that was ridiculous right there. I've never seen that before. Have you? Me neither. That's ridiculous. I've never heard of anybody trying to get the crowd excited and getting tossed for that. I don't know if the ref thought he was like signaling something at them or, or what, but when I watch the video, it's clear that he's just looking at the crowd and trying to pump them up to get them excited. Yeah, it makes absolutely no sense. I'm with you on that one. But again, it was a good moment for a former minor. I know there's been a lot of minor fans that during that search brought his name up understand the university did their due diligence, they did reach out, had a conversation, but Kamani told them that ultimately, you know what, honored, appreciating all that, and yet, you know, right now for him, you know, his home is his home right now is uh, is Connecticut, and he's, he's a New York guy. So I think that's the most important thing. I'm just happy that a former minor, especially if you know the story about Kamani and what he went through uh, following his UTEP days, that he's doing so well right now with himself, his personal life, and his coaching career up there at UConn. That is a great, great story. Yeah, he had a lot of adversity as a you know in his personal life, and to get to the point where he is right now. I mean, even even just uh, hearing him, he just sounds like such a loyal person. The way that Hurley talked about him too, just sounds. Sounds like uh, they have a great bond as far as the coaching staff there in UConn. So if you have something good going like that, why why leave? And uh, I think it's it's great that they took that victory yesterday. I'm with you on that one. All right. Uh, meanwhile, uh, as we continue here on the show, I wrote just moments ago and published this just prior to going on the air today um, a story about the, um, the situation with KJ Lewis. Essentially, the title of this story up on the website right now is. Um, for those of you that are, haven't checked it out yet, K.J. Lewis and his larger-than-life problem of playing in El Paso. And essentially, what I talked about is what he's been going through, and that is when you're just better than everybody else, you're on a different level, because it's not just like he's on a, a D1 level, because there's plenty of potential D1 players that, that are here, but you know, potentially he can be playing in the NBA, and that's the key. And he's built like it now. So because of his physical stature, you can't guard him. You can't. Nobody can nobody can can stay with him. Nobody can jump with him. And and ultimately, you know, KJ's been getting banged up pretty good uh last couple of years. And it's continued again, uh, you know, in that playoff game against uh, Horizon, which by the way, 40 fouls called in the second half, Adrian. 40 Ridiculous. fouls. You have an eight minute quarter. So in sixteen minutes of basketball, the referees whistled. 4-0. 40 fouls. Are we watching the refs or are we watching the game? Makes you wonder. That's ridiculous. It makes you wonder. 
And then in the story, I'm talking about ultimately what KJ Lewis having to deal with right now. People people look at the talent, but they don't always look at it from his from his perspective. You need to. Because ultimately, one of the big questions is going to be, will we be lucky enough to see KJ play here his senior year? Or will he go someplace else? And it's very possible he could be going someplace else. Yeah, and I, I feel like, you know, you you uh, outlined this in your story, and I just kind of uh, was thinking about it in my head. Um, some people might argue, well, you know, it's his senior year, and if he decides on his college before his senior year, who cares where he plays for his senior year? I don't buy that at all, Steve. I don't buy that notion one bit because you you just said it. His goal is the NBA, and if he wants to get better for the NBA, go in, in an environment that's going to challenge him and officiate him the right way. 100%. If you haven't checked it out, please do. Um, I encourage you to check that out. I wrote a story up uh, about uh, Leandro Carrillo, also for you soccer fans. He was here with us in the studio yesterday. We were fortunate enough to have Leandro for almost an hour. Um Adrian wrote an unbelievable story yesterday about Joe Golding and year one for him. So if you haven't went been to the website in the last couple of days, there's a lot of really good stuff for you to catch up on today. Yeah, most definitely, and uh, we are we're getting ready to uh, close out this basketball season. Kind of crazy to think that, but yeah, a lot of great coverage on our site, and uh, you can check out all the the great podcasts if you miss any of Sports Talk or Minor Talk over the weekend too. You know what else I like? I like the new feature that ultimately allows the stories to be translated. So if you would like to go to a story and listen to the translated version of it, so you can close your eyes and instead of reading it, let somebody who probably uh, mispronounces some of the words and the stories, uh, read it to you. You can do that up on our website right now. It's a brand new feature that they dropped about two weeks ago on the site. I wish I could turn it off on mine. I just did to say that, Steve. Uh, mine was seven minutes long yesterday. I started listening to it, and I stopped after like three. Oh, man. But this thing about it, it's, it's nice. It's like, it's <laughs> like having, some people, yeah. It's like having if you, if you use the uh, Audible app and you like to enjoy books being read to you uh, instead of uh, you having to read the book, they basically you know will give you dictate the book. You can do that now on our website. It's, it's very nice. You know what? I'll tell you this. It's perfect for people on the go who are like, yep. I'm not trying to read this. I don't want to read a thousand word that Adrian's writing right now on the website. Oh, just press the listen to this article button and then you can just hear it. 100%. So that's all up on the website right now. And we got more stories. Joe Rod's got a great wrap up from the weekend uh, scoreless battle for FC Waters. That'll be coming up later during the show today. So a lot of good material to uh, give to you. First, though. We've got Jay Jaffe on deck right after Charlie One. He's first up here, 16 past, with this traffic update. Welcome back, everybody, as we continue here on Sports Talk. 21 past the hour right now. It's time to talk a little baseball and beer with this man, Jay Jaffe, who you can follow at Fangraphs.com. They dropped their top 100 prospects today, by the way. That's always fun if you're a prospect town like I am. Plus, of course, all the great articles uh, with Jay and his entire team as they uh, cover those for you here at uh, Fangraphs.com. In fact, in addition to the top 100 that's up today, you can also uh, have the opportunity to check out other great work on the website, including stories uh, about uh, some of the other topics in baseball, college baseball, and catchers, um, you know, fantasy advice, and uh, all the uh, CB, uh, CBA talk, which, by the way, that's where Jay wrote, right? Jay wrote that uh, a new CBA is not getting much closer, even with face-to-face meetings. It's a great point for us to start us off here on a Wednesday afternoon. Jay, welcome back. And even today, I mean, you, we're just not 
We're not getting the kind of news you want since they keep talking about how the 28th is going to be really the, uh, the, the day that they have to try to get an agreement in place in order to salvage the season. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think that uh, there's, there's little hope of, of getting to that point right now based on what we're seeing. I mean, the owners moved you know, $10,000 a year on um, their minimum salary proposal. Uh, we didn't see much else. Really, the the you know the fact that there it hasn't been any uh, further back and forth on um, from the two sides when it comes to the competitive balance tax threshold and structure uh, is indicative of, of just how you know how this, how this isn't getting anywhere um, because that's the that you know that's the main sticking point that's the the number one thing that the players are after because uh, they believe that. Um, you know, and and rightly so. The data bears it out that uh, uh, this is functioning as a salary cap, uh, you know, but just by another name, and that it is preventing salary growth. There, uh, that threshold, if it had just kept pace with inflation, uh, would be about two hundred ninety million dollars uh, by now. Instead, it's uh, um, they're haggling over whether it's going to be two hundred fourteen million versus two hundred forty-five million. Right. Um, and uh, you know, they're not going to come close to to catching up to uh, the rate of inflation from the last CBA. Nah, the competitive balance uh, threshold right now, the difference between the two is $31 million. There's $95 million between the two in the pre-arbitration bonus pool talks they're trying to work out. Minimum salary, they're $135,000 per player apart in that. And then even the draft lottery, they're, they're still uh, between you know, three picks between uh, owners and players. So but, as yeah, those and those are just the there's just the first the first year gaps. I mean, you right. know, the, the, by by year five, it's fifty one million dollars for the uh, uh, for the tax thresholds, and the economic impact of these is you know many many times greater. You know, in the billions of dollars based on you know which which side's vision would be you know would be enacted, and of course you know they'll come to some resolution at some point. But um, yeah, this, this it's, a, it's a chasm. It really is, and it makes you wonder right now more than anything else. Jay is is let's just. I mean, are you surprised that the owners have really um, just taken their offer and bumped it up minimally over the last uh, few weeks instead of trying to make significant progress to salvage this? No, this is this is cosmetic. Uh, this is a cosmetic attempt at compromise that I think is it's all. You know, the owners have now twice asked for for a federal mediator to participate. That would be non-binding. At some point, they, you know, they are, if they, I think they feel that if the if if the players don't cave in, uh, then they're going to the owners are going to try to declare an impasse. Um, you know, which would uh, mandate some kind of uh, federal arbitrator to step in. Uh, you know, for for a solution that would be binding. Uh, that's my understanding of it. So you believe that ultimately that's the end result when it could all said be all maybe that's what baseball wants maybe they want a federal arbitrator because they believe that they will get more out of that than they will in any of the back and forth talks here. Maybe, but boy, that you know the, the, that's the la- that's something the players don't want. I mean, the problem is is that whoever steps in doesn't know generally doesn't know the first thing about the the finer points of baseball economics, and it takes months and months to get up to speed on that stuff. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I think the the the, the uh, uh, this is, you know, the, the, I think the players would view it as a as a, a 
break glass in emergency situation. That's not what they want. No, I'm with you on that one. I, I really am. And it, what's really interesting to me is that some of these uh, teams are holding what they call uh, mini camps right now for their minor leaguers, and they've closed it to the media and the fans. So if you're baseball and you essentially lock out the players and yet you have your minor leaguers in your complexes and you're not allowing fans to go watch that, then ultimately it seems like the owners just they, they want nothing to do with any of the fans right now in any capacity. Yeah, well, you know, it's I mean, there are no games, so I can understand that there's not a whole lot to see. Um but uh Hey you can still uh, be around them. Let me tell you, I've done yeah, it. it I've it, made the trip, Jay, been to yeah, Phoenix it, and I it's a it. you know and, and I and, get it. They it, they, yeah. they can't they can't figure out how to even you know how to even try to coax people towards baseball right now because right. they're just so wrapped up in themselves. No, that's 100% right. Uh, Jay Jaffe joining us here on Sports Talk as as we continue. Um, and, and again, uh, you wonder, you know, what... Okay, if you had to pr- predict today, because remember, this is different than last week, if you had to predict today how long this thing is going to go, do you believe that we're going to be well into March before we finally get some kind of a CBA done? Yeah, if I had to say, I think March fifteenth is about you know once it's it's clear we're losing part of April. Um, that you know, and we've lost most of spring training. Um, that's that's my that's my guess right now. I think we're you know we're going to see um, you know paychecks lost. We're going to see you know revenue lost. I mean I, the um, uh, the situation. I mean even the, you know the municipalities that uh, bought uh, all these you know. These teams, uh, their spring training locales gave them, you know, favorable tax rates and stuff like that. I mean, there's already uh, anger there. Absolutely, and and you know, you mentioned at the bottom of your story, there's also the situation going on about minor league jobs and and what they're trying to do to at least trim those down as well. Yeah, that seems to have been taken off the table, but it went, you know, with it came, it didn't. It was really, you know, actually kind of tangential to this whole thing. The owners, I mean, the players don't represent the minor leaguers. I mean, they don't. The minor leaguers don't have their own union. The players really don't have, uh, you know, don't have don't have any say in this. But when when the owners uh, yanked that uh, provision back, which would have limited the number of uh, players that uh, are on all minor league rosters to to uh, uh, 180, and then reduce, you know, with the potential to reduce it, um, they took away. Uh, proposal that would limit the number of times in a season that a player could be optioned to five, um, which is a real quality of life issue for you know a lot of fringe players, particularly fringe pitchers. Um, you know, we saw guys uh, uh, go up and down uh, 10, 11, 12 times last year, like yep. Mitch White on the Dodgers and uh, um, Albert Abreu on the Yankees and Lewis Head on the Tampa Bay Rays. I mean, you know, their, their lives were, were just disrupted uh, uh, practically every two weeks. And we still have names like Carlos Correa, Freddie Freeman, Chris Bryant, Trevor Story, Nick Castellanos, um, you know Kyle Schwarber, uh, Anthony Rizzo without teams right now, Jay. So yeah, it's you know, going to be it's going to be you know we have we have divided up uh, the the major at Fangraphs we have divided up the major free agents um, to pre-write uh, uh, you know when it, when it, you know. Just so that we can kind of mobilize once all this flurry of transactions comes down, when they do finally get close, uh, uh, you know, get get uh, the, the lockout solved, because there's just there's going to be, you know, two months worth of uh, off season crammed into about a week, 
Um, and my, my, I know my, my poor editor who just finished uh, uh, handling our, our, our top 100 prospects and that, that whole package, which is a major undertaking uh, unto itself, uh, is cowering over 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 sure. the fear of what that's going to entail. More with Jay as we keep things moving here on Sports Talk. But first, let's go right now to Adrian in this bottom of the hour Sports Center update. Thank you very much. Thirty-two past as we continue with uh, Jay Jaffe here on Sports Talk. Uh, your Cooperstown notebook from yesterday: the best of the unenshrined starters, part one. It's a nice look, Jay. You go back through time, really, from the eighteen uh, hundreds till now, and you essentially look at the best pitchers according to the Jaws metrics that are still not in Cooperstown. Yeah, this is kind of what this series has been building towards, with a, with a, with an eye towards the the periods in, in uh, uh, baseball history that are so, that are somewhat un, un, underrepresented within the hall, and we're really uh, only starting to get to um, uh, the first batch of them in in, in this one here. Um, I think it's I think the one that people are most looking forward to is the second batch, uh, where I'm, I just uh, wrote a, whole, a few hundred uh, words about Dave Steeb, of uh, the great Blue Jays pitcher, but. Uh, uh, that first installment has guys like Jim McCormick from the 1880s and uh, uh, Louis Tiant and uh, Rick Russell and some other interesting pitchers who have kind of slipped through the cracks of history but look especially appealing uh, in light of my system. And, uh, um, you know, a lot of people would like to see them in the Hall of Fame or at least get on a ballot so that they, their merits could be debated. But uh, uh, we're a long way from that. But right now we're a long way from any kind of baseball. It's a good time to delve into this history. I never realized just uh, how um, you know how close Russell's numbers are for a career compared to Tiant. Yeah, Russell, you know, he's a really interesting guy. He was completely under, you know, underappreciated during his time because he was pitching for some pretty bad Cubs teams in a pretty hitter-friendly ballpark. And you know, when you're going 17 and 14 with a you know 3.40 ERA, nobody really thinks too much about it, but. Turns out you're actually doing great work there because your defense behind you is terrible. Your ballpark is really tough to to uh, to, to pitch in, and you're not getting a ton of offensive support. And and uh, uh, when you make the adjustments that go into wins above replacement to account for all that, he actually comes out as uh, a very valuable pitcher. He's kind of the poor man's Burt Blylevin in some ways, but didn't really have the same kind of defining skills that that Blylevin had with that big curveball. Um, you know that that many people thought was the game's best, or, or the chance to pitch uh, uh, in a World Series when he was at his peak. Um, my memories of Russell are actually confined uh, uh, or focused on 1981 when he got knocked around pretty good by the Dodgers um, in what was sort of an off season for him. I remember Russell with the Cubs, and then later on with the Giants, kind of towards the end of his career. And I always thought that Rick Russell was one of those guys that just got better with age because he knew how to throw and knew how to pitch. And ultimately, he was, yeah, he was really good late in his career with yeah. the Giants. I mean, you know, that was a much more favorable situation for him. And if he could have spent his career out there, I think we'd be talking about the Hall of Fame, Rick Russell. When is uh, Part Two going to be dropping? Uh, I think uh, later this week we're, we're going to see. I'm just, you know, today I had to dive on the news. Uh, might have to dive on the news again before the week is over, but uh, um, hope, hoping to land this thing on Friday if nothing else comes up. Will we also have then the best of the unenshrined position players, or will you go position by position? How are you going to do uh, it? I'm, I'm, that's a separate. That's that's a separate uh, series. Of, I mean, that's a that's a separate project. This has been really centered around the the uh, adjustment of my pitching. Uh, uh, my pitching version of yep. of, of Jaws, and 
uh, kind of this is what I've been building towards. It was originally supposed to be a two or three part thing, and now we're looking at five parts, maybe more. <laughs> will, will we include relievers in this series or just starters? Haven't decided yet. Um, haven't decided. Probably not uh, gonna gonna do relievers, but um, well, we'll see how long the lockout lasts. Because uh, right. <laughs> that's fair. By the way, I haven't. Uh, I want to get to your beer pick of the week coming up in a moment, but I haven't also. Uh, I haven't played Wordle yet today. How tough was uh, today's version? Uh, I think I, I think I needed four. Okay. All right. Have you ever been stumped? Have you gone all six turns and missed it? So here's so here's what happened. I did I did forty one straight when I learned you know I learned about the game. I got forty one straight. The forty second one, I, I I blew it. The answer was my daughter's name. Oh, get out of here! Really? Yeah. Are you? Yeah. It's like the biggest cell phone of all time. Oh my god! <laughs> that is that is awesome. I'll tell you what, you'll never forget that one. That's for sure. <laughs> Unbelievable! That was hilarious, and then that was also, and then somehow, you know, and this all happened right around the time of the transfer over to the New York Times yes. version, and somehow that flub never made it in. So, according to the New York Times version, I'm like 49 for 49 here. Oh wow! Um, By the way, do we know how much the Times paid for this? Uh, I don't. I would love to know. Well, I mean, I don't. those guys in in England who created this, uh, I hope they I hope they cashed out okay before the Times picked it up. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure they did all right. Good. All right, wash it down with a beer. What do you want to talk about? Okay, this one is from Wild East Brewing here in Brooklyn. Uh, this is a nice little, uh, relatively new brewery that uh, uh, has been uh, delivering since. Uh, uh, the start of the pandemic and on and off, and they just started delivering again. Or I just remembered that they that, uh, that to, to look to see if they were delivering again. Got a whole variety of them. They do some nice uh, uh, loggers to go with their uh, IPAs. Uh, this actually is their standard deviation stout. Um, catchy name for the uh, for the math aspect of it. This is a a really nice creamy stout uh, with. Um, uh, kind of co- more coffee up front, uh, uh, coffee taste up front, uh, kind of semi-sweet chocolate, maybe a little bit nutty as well. Um, comes in, I be- it's, not a, it's not a high, a high ABV, 6% ABV, uh, very drinkable and uh, very enjoyable. Good, 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 good. Happy to hear it. By the way, the Times paid more than a million for Wordle. How's that? Yeah, that sounds about right. Hey, don't you want to invent the next thing that the Times buys? I would love to. I would love to. Come up with something. Jaws. Come up with something. Look, they bought my wife. They bought my wife's company, so uh, not her company, but the company she works for. Oh, nice, <laughs> nice. Well, maybe one of these days uh, they'll do you a favor, and the Times will buy the Jaws uh, system from yeah, you. And then, we'll, we'll you know. see. All right. Good luck in the meantime. <laughs> Always appreciate the time. Uh, thanks, Jay. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Sounds great. Take care. Jay Jaffe, folks. Follow him on Twitter at Jay underscore Jaffe. Check out his work at Fangraphs.com. Follow him on Untapped, the beer app, where you can check out all of his tasting notes. Come back with more. Sports Talk continues. 600 ESPN El Paso. 45 past the hour as we continue here on Sports Talk. 8805763. That is our telephone number as we continue. You can also check everything out online at 600ESPNLPaso.com. We'll meet UTEP's newest assistant coach coming up at our 5 o'clock hour. Then Jeff Erickson's going to join us. Then John Teicher's going to join us. Man, it's a fast show. It's almost over, and we're only an hour and we're only uh, 45 minutes into the show. You know what? I, I think we're going to have Jeff tomorrow, Steve. Oh, that's I, I think right. We're that's right. We're going to have him tomorrow. That's right. Thank you for that. That's right. But so, still, a fast moving show. It is a fast moving show. Thank you for correcting me on that. I sent you that message, and I still forgot it. That's good. That's really, really good. Hey, by the way, I don't know if you heard about this story or not, but uh, Marcus Stroman is now a Chicago Cub. Did you hear that he said that he is beyond thankful 
that he is gone from the New York Mets organization? Wow, Steve. Yeah, he's re- he's really uh, he's lighting the torch right now, and he's wanting to uh, you know send all the messages to the Mets that they did not treat him right. Nope, not at all. Here is what um, Stroman uh, tweeted yesterday. Just look at who the Mets hired as their GM. That tells you enough. His lack of awareness in his previous position is now being exposed to the public now. I'm beyond thankful. I'm gone from that organization. God got me. Talking about Mets GM Billy Epler. Wow. Wow, that, that is uh, uh, very revealing right there, and it just shows you that there is still a lot of bitterness for Stroman uh, and, and the Mets organization. Man, oh man, it is. That's, that's really true. He's very, uh, very bitter about the Mets. I tell you, it's, a, it's a train wreck of an organization. There's no doubt about that. Here was another tweet that came out of uh, Marcus Stroman. I would love to be back on the squad next year. Let's see here. I've proven that I can pitch in New York. Others uh, usually crumble under that New York pressure. However, I know a source who says the front office rather the other pitchers uh, would rather go after the other pitchers on the market. I'm going to dominate wherever I end up. And then he's followed up with the source is me. And, um, you know, the fact is Stroman didn't want to go to New York, did not get re-signed, is bitter, and uh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, you know, just goes to show you when they didn't bring him back, he's upset. He even said that he hopes Michael Conforto does not return to the Mets and instead signs with another team. Wow. And, Great uh, organization. Way to go. That's 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 fantastic. I'm doing uh, some digging also, Steve, on just some of these tweets. It seems like he had had a lot of fans saying bad things to him when he was with the Mets organization, Steve. Some really, really harsh words that were called and uh, even death threats. That's what Marcus Stroman tweeted. Even death threats that, that were going his way. From fans. That's right. Yeah, oh from fans. God, it's unbelievable. It really is. Hey, by the way, Padres fans, Chihuahuas fans would like to know this. Apparently, the Padres are in the mix for Matt Olson. How about that? Wow. How, how are they going to do this one right here? Well, now you got to understand something. Matt Olson's manager is now the manager of the Padres. Makes that's, sense. A lot of sense. That's the big thing. So, I look at that. Um, you know, and once the lockout ends, he's going to be on the trade market. you got to wonder where he could end up. I would love to see him go as a Padre. I really would. And this is according to, I think, Dennis Lynn from The Athletic. He tweeted or mentioned the Padres would love to have Olsen. That's especially the case now that they employ a manager who oversaw Olsen's development into an all-star. As his prellers want, the Padres, before the lockout, checked in with every team regarding potentially attainable players. That includes the A's, who appear likely to deal Olsen. I expect the Padres to be in the mix. That's real interesting right there. Hey, a 27-year-old, good numbers right there, two seasons under uh, his contract right now. I'd be really interested. Now, uh, is the obvious name Hosmer, if you could try to rope in a a third team in this mix? Well, here's the problem with Hosmer. He still has four years on his contract. But because the contract was front-loaded, he's only going to be getting paid $13 million starting next season through 2025, but he is due $21 million this year. That's a lot of money to give Eric Hosmer. Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking, gosh, one of the more expensive contracts, it's not giving you a lot of return on that on that deal right there with Eric Cosmer. How about this? I mean, how bad is it for the Padres? They're trying to attach some of their best prospects to Hosmer, and teams still won't touch it. Wow, they, they just do not see that contract as something worth taking back at all. I mean, these opponents do not want to trade for that contract right there. No, they don't. That is exactly right. Exactly right. So anyway, 
Um, you know, that's one of the stories going on right now, and that's really interesting. Cardinals apparently are looking at uh, Colin Moran as a possible DH. That's also in the uh, rumor mill. And then how about the fact that Aaron Judge, will he end up with a new team after this season? Could this be the last year as a Yankee for Aaron Judge? Yeah, that's a that's a big question right there, Steven. One of the fan favorites with the Yankees. I'm curious to see if they try to work on an extension or try to uh, you know sign him long term. Or if they say, hey, let's get the best out of him right now. Let's try to maybe trade him with his value at this level right here and see what we can get back for him. It's a, it's a tough situation that New York's in. Very, very tough situation for the uh, Mets, the Metropolitans. It's not good. Not good. As we continue here on Sports Talk 880-5763, that is our telephone number to get into the program. Again, we'd love to hear from you. If you want to weigh in on this or anything else, this is the time to do it. In fact, um, since we're going to be talking a little UTEP football to begin hour number two with their brand new safeties coach, we'd love to hear you uh, on the show right now as uh, Sports Talk continues. But yeah, those are some of the rumor mills. It's going to be interesting. Once baseball settles things, there's going to be a huge flurry of trades and free agent signings because every team is going to have to race to be up and running by the time spring training starts and the season starts. So there's, I mean, I just rattled off the names of the free agents still out there. Freddie Freeman, Carlos Correa. Uh, there's an unbelievable group headlining this that that still don't have teams right now yeah and not to mention some of the extensions I mean we've heard some of these rumor extensions like Juan Soto uh, you know expected to get that extension from uh you know from the Nationals and stuff like that I'm curious to see what ends up happening with these different extensions coming in I am too 880-5763 that is our telephone number as uh, we get rolling here on Sports Talk at 52 now past the hour. So if you want to try to get in the final few minutes of the show, of the hour, we'd love to hear from you before we begin hour number two with uh, UTEP's uh, newest assistant coach. So looking forward to that. All right, let me see if I can get Ray in before the end. we got about two minutes left in the hour. Ray, yep, go ahead. Hey, see how you guys doing? Hey, I just wanted to bring up a little bit. Let's talk about LeBron and the Lakers. You know, I've been very yeah. frustrated with them as a, as a fan and just – Everything has been said lately, and now LeBron trying to push the commodity of his son. And I think it's just, you know, I've heard guys on ESPN say how powerful it is for him to be able to come forward and say, look, you take my son, you go ahead and take me. I think he's kind of hamstringing, you know, some organizations by saying, you know, you take my son, you take me. And I just think it's very unfair to the Lakers and the way he's kind of, you know, propositioning his kid when, you know, it should be all about him and what he really wants. And granted, he might actually think that. But when I look, you look at the Lakers organization, I just think LeBron needs to really step up. I've said for a long time in family and friend circles that I think what he's doing right now is diminishing and tarnishing his legacy more than anything. You know, he needs to step up and own what he did in going with Polinka and telling him, like, I want my friends on this team. I want a Carmelo Anthony. I want it Westbrook. And, you know, you got what you wanted. Did it turn out the way you thought it was going to? No, not at all. Now you got to take a look at everything that's been going on and the way things are going in a spiral direction and look at how much responsibility you actually had and a hand in all of this. I think he hoodwinked the Lakers and taking all his buddies into this and looking at the way the ages are affecting this team now. And, you know, they everybody's talking about LeBron and how he's such a savant and a genius in the game. I mean, I can't even take that to heart because there's so many times in a game that he is defended by somebody half his size and why he doesn't take that guy down to the block and just drive to the basket every single time, I have no idea. Because a genius or a savant of the game 
would definitely do that. Michael and Kobe both. When they had a mismatch, they put him in the post or they took him one-on-one. LeBron, he just drains that clock and just waits the time for the offense and just goes out there to jack up a three. And all of this combined, I just see no leadership in that guy whatsoever right now on this team. And a team that, again, I am so frustrated with and I want to see them do so well. And every time they win a game, I like to tell my son that maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the one. But it just seems like every time we just get, you know, it's fool's gold watching them right now, and especially him. What do you think? Well, first off, I'm out of time, so thanks for wrapping up the hour. And number two, how easily you forget he brought you a title a couple of years ago. Good Lord. You got a title from him, and now you're throwing him under the bus. It's like, what do you want? How many times do you grab a guy like this and you don't win? And then you get upset. That I understand. Man, how, how soon people forget. Yeah, I mean, LeBron took over All-Star Weekend because uh, what he said about the Cavs, I get it. I get the frustration from Lakers fans, but Lakers fans also have to have a lot of patience when it comes to this team. They're looking for next year. LeBron is frustrated that they did not trade the 2027 pick. That's the reason why. Oh, please. Let me tell you something. I was a Nick fan, you ungrateful bastard, you. I mean, you're some you're upset about, about LeBron now. I mean, you know what? Nick fans would kill for a title. Kill. You haven't had one since 73. I was, it was the year I was born. So and, and and these Laker fans are so ungrateful they're now they're throwing the guy under the bus. You know what? Let him come to the Knicks. The Knicks. I'll take him. We'll be more nappy. I'll, I'll take LeBron James for the next uh, for the next three four years. There'll be a lot of teams in that same. Please, boat. it's unbelievable. All right, that fires me up. Hour number one in the books. We'll come back. We'll meet UTEP's newest assistant coach. The sports talk continues. All right, welcome back. Hour number two of sports talk is underway, along with Adrian Broadus. I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Looking forward to our next guest. And then we get to have a new UTEP assistant coach on the phones. It's a lot of fun, isn't it, Adrian? It's a lot of fun. And somebody who has professional playing experience like him, uh, this is going to be a great a great experience to talk to uh, Coach Dante Barnett. That's right. Uh, he joins us live right now as we begin hour number two of the program, the brand-new safeties assistant coach out at UTEP. Uh, first off, Coach, uh, good to have you on, and uh, welcome to El Paso. How you doing? Good. How are you guys doing? Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for being with us. Excited to have you on the show. And more than anything, uh, happy to have another former Kansas State Wildcat on the staff. It's all about keeping it in the family, Coach. Yes, it is. Uh, you know, I'm very grateful for the opportunity for Coach Demo. Enjoyed my time playing for him and uh, enjoyed my short time uh, for now coaching for him. And in between all that, you played for the Broncos uh, in 2017 and had a chance to go through training camp with them. Is it hard to believe that you're only six years removed from your college playing career? Uh, it seems longer, and then it just depends on you know the time of year. Some days I feel like I can go out there and still play. Some days I feel like I haven't played in 10-plus years. So uh, just depending on the year, but uh, now that you said that uh, – that's crazy, and uh, you know, very grateful for the progress I've made over the years and all the interactions that I've had uh, with this game of football. Coach, uh, the XFL is announcing draft uh, recipients right now. Are, are you going to be on that list? Oh, not at all, not at all. Uh, I'm out of it. I'm, I'm proud of a lot of my former teammates and uh, that I've seen as, that's been drafted uh, with those XFL teams. All right. Well, listen, you're only, what, 28? Is that right? 28, 29? 28. Oh, you can still play ball. I mean, come on, coach. You know, you know. I know you've been doing this now for a few years, but I'm sure you know. You get, is, do you still have the competitive juices flowing when you're on the field? 
Oh, I definitely still have the competitive juices. Uh, that was one of the main reasons I got into coaching. Uh, I couldn't just give up the game of football. And any player, former player knows me, uh, I'm still the coach that wears his cleats around practice. I'll jump out there in drills, run around with you, uh, just so that I can feel a part of the game. Now, tell me this, because uh, your coaching career started in the high school level uh, like a little about four years ago, and uh, you were a DB's coach. You also ran the pass game and the wide receivers coach for the varsity team, and uh, then you uh, handled, what, track in addition to that? Sounds like when you went to Arlington Seguin High School, you did everything. Yes. um, It's one of those places where uh, the head coach, Joe Gordon, he awarded me the opportunities to grow uh, with my experience, and uh, I was very grateful for me for it. Uh, he challenged me a lot uh, to grow as a as a coach and as a man. It uh, he put me up to the challenge, and I I feel like that I exceeded uh, his challenges. What was the biggest uh, you know challenge for you having to uh, coach a bunch of high school kids? Because I mean, think about it you're you're not that far removed from that level, but obviously you go from college and, and the Broncos to uh, suddenly going to coach at the high school level. Was it uh, easy to relate to the high school athletes or a little tougher? Uh, it was actually very easy to relate to the high school athletes because I was uh, had just got done playing, so I was super young, and you know everything that they wanted to do, I could understand because it's a new generation of kids. Uh, I'm not saying that I'm the oldest or have the most experience, but uh, being able to relate to students of that age uh, was very beneficial for me because I can put things in perspectives that, let's say, an older coach probably couldn't, a 15-, 16-year-old student. Uh, I could put, I could relate to them and put th- things in the terms for them to help them relate and understand uh, different concepts and formations and plays. We also know that uh, a big part of the job is also recruiting. How how important were the relationships you made at the high school level, and, and how could you bring that to UTEP in terms of just, you know, helping out and recruiting? Oh, everything. Uh, with my youth, uh, being in that DFW area, I was able to build relationships with numerous players and coaches uh, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. So uh, with me being a coach there, you get to connect uh, on a daily basis to – players from all around the city and also coaches. And with me uh, earning this job and being hired here, um, the amount of support that came from that area was amazing. Uh, A lot of people in that area were truly happy for me, and uh, I'm very grateful for those relationships and plan to continue and network with those relationships to recruit kids from that area here to UTEP. Dante Barnett with us here on Sports Talk as we continue the new safeties coach for the Miners. That's an important one because you look at the DFW area and the Metroplex, there's a ton of talent there. There's a, a lot of Power 5 talent, but there's also plenty of uh, Group of 5 talent as well. And uh, I know UTEP usually goes into parts of Texas where maybe there aren't as many hotbeds, but the fact that you could potentially go into Dallas, open some doors for them, which maybe they wouldn't have normally, and help uh, recruit some uh, some prospects, that's a big deal for Dana Dimmel and the Miners. Yes, that's, that's very big, uh, With especially with the day and age of the transfer portal and the number of Power 5 kids that are jumping ship, going from Power 5 school to Power 5 school. A lot of the good talent high school kids that – that are very talented are being looked over, and it's our job to, you know, come get those kids. And even those kids that do have the Power 5 offers, uh, we have a great 
coaching staff here at UTEP, and we feel that we can get those players too. That's the first thing I wanted to ask you. So you come on board, you meet uh, Bradley, Dale, Pivato, and, and the rest of the staff on the defensive side of the ball. And uh, what was your first impression when you had a chance to get to see some of the coaches uh, that were assembled here? I was uh, very impressed. And, uh, you know, they welcomed me like family on day one. And even before they met me, before I even made it down here to UTEP, uh, all the coaches reached out, called me, uh, wanted to make sure that my transition would be smooth. And uh, that was big for me because I was a stranger to them. And then when I got in the meeting room with them, start learning. Uh, I had watched some film before I came up here, and then we really started diving down deep and watching film. Uh, they played some good defense last year. And uh, that box, that front seven is very talented. And uh, having the cornerbacks coach, uh, Coach Wade, uh, he's an awesome person. Uh, he's very talented. He knows a lot of football. So with me and him working together, and having uh, Coach Pease and Coach Wally work with that front, uh, I think that we can have great success again with this defense. Now, Coach, uh, was Coach Dibble the only member of the staff that you had known prior to coming to UTEP, or were there some uh, any other members that you had met along the way? Oh, yeah. So um, I knew Coach Dimble, uh Coach Little, who was recently hired. Um, we played together as well at Kansas State, and then he was on the coaching staff while I was still playing. Uh, as well, uh, quality control coach uh, Tremaine Thompson. We actually both are from Tulsa, Oklahoma, so we've known each other since high school and also played together at Kansas State as well. And that's big, isn't it? When you come into a new city and you get to see some familiar faces, I'm sure that, uh, that that's big at first. Oh, that's very big, especially moving eight hours away like I did. Uh, it's very beneficial. Also, the strength coach, uh, Coach Kevin Schott, uh, he was one of the strength coaches at Kansas State during my time there as well. Absolutely. Uh, Coach, wanted to also ask you about the impressions that you had on UTEP's defense last year. What did you take away from the secondaries in spe- you know, specifically? Oh, uh, young and talented. Uh, I didn't realize how many younger guys got action. Uh, a lot of guys have experience uh on this defense and in this secondary, especially with them being young. Anytime you can have uh, a young secondary with experience, uh, it just gets your hopes up because they're only going to grow and continue to get better. And as soon as I walked in the meeting room, all of them had out uh, their spirals ready to take notes, trying to learn and find ways to improve from last season. And that was very big for me. One of the things for you was you came out of high school and played all four years at uh, Kansas State. This school has been very successful in bringing JUCO players on board. I know we talked about the portal a little while ago. Junior college has been very, very good to Dana Dimmel over the last few years as he's built this team up. And uh, and I'll just ask you, you know, when you talk about uh, the quality of talent that are playing in, in junior colleges um, like Kilgore and, and some of the places that UTEP's been very uh, fortunate to, to go deep in and, and get quality players from, what you know what is it like getting and coaching a JUCO player, and I'm sure your teammates at K State were some JUCO players versus the traditional uh, high school prospect. Um, it really just depends on the player and program. Uh, I know you can get a few JUCO players that come in and transfer into your college, and they're ready to play right away. Because uh, especially with me being a high school coach in the past, uh, a lot of these JUCOs are recruiting high school kids that they believe can play at higher Division One places. Uh, 
nowadays. Uh, they probably just didn't qualify or they're being overlooked. And a lot of the top JUCO programs, especially the ones that uh, Coach Demo recruits from, you're not getting on the field unless uh, you're a potential uh, high, talented D1 guy. So the guys that we bring in uh, are expected to, you know, come in and challenge the play. But then also, uh, depending on the maturity of that student, because coming from JUCO, they're still probably only 18, 19 years old by the time they're transferring. With this day and age, you're getting a lot of the one and duns at JUCO, so they're still 18 years old uh, when they come off the college so with them and a high school player, it all comes down to their maturity level and how quick can they uh, understand the culture of the program and, you know, adjust to the college life and the playbooks of being a, you know, a student athlete at a D1 collegiate level. UTEP starts spring ball next week, just practices and things like that. Coach, uh, wanted to get your outlook. What is the competition look like for among the safeties right now? Oh, it, it's very competitive. Uh I told them uh, last week that anytime you get a new coach, uh, your slate is wiped clean. Uh, you have to go and improve yourself uh, every day. Uh, the things that you did in the past don't matter for the new coach. So the guy probably dug themselves in the hole in the years before. They have a clean slate. I know nothing about that. So everyone has to go out and prove themselves. Uh, it's going to be very competitive daily. And uh, if you can have a competitive room, if I can have a competitive safeties room, uh, by the time the fall comes, that'll make us to have a very talented team with uh, valuable depth as well. And as far as uh, being a coach, uh, let me hear what you're all about. So uh, for those that are getting a chance to hear you for the first time, what are your philosophies as far as what you'd like to accomplish at the safety spot, Coach? Uh, with us, uh, with my players, I just want, first of all, my players have to be competitors. So I feel that you can't play this game of football without being a competitor, especially at safety. Uh, things are going to happen in the game that don't go our way, but as a defensive back, you have to be able to bounce back. And a true competitor is always able to bounce back. So being a competitor is the number one thing uh, that I have for my group. And then secondly, it's all about uh, being a student of the game, uh, understanding, reading your keys, being coachable, and uh, my biggest pet peeve is don't make the same mistake twice. It's okay to make mistakes. Uh, they're going to happen. But uh, true players of the game don't make the same mistake twice. So if you mess up on something, uh, let's go back and correct it. Therefore, you'll never mess up on it again. But if you continue making the same mistake over and over, uh, maybe it's something with you or maybe it is something with me as a coach that I'm not doing the right thing and uh, trying to teach you the proper way to do it. So, uh I take a lot of the blame on my players if they're not performing uh, the right way because with me being a former teacher, it must be the way that I'm teaching, and I have to find a way to get my players to understand and play at a high level. Yeah, but you were a smart student at K-State, all academic, Big 12. I saw that, first-teamer, so congrats on that. Plus, you were a three-time team captain at K-State, which tells me that you led by example. Uh, are you a vocal coach? Do you like to uh, talk a lot and, and ultimately let uh, you know let the players kind of follow your lead? Oh, yes. Uh, I'm very vocal because uh, in the secondary, you have to play with energy. So uh, I want to give off the same energy that I expect my players to have uh, and uh, really just show them my work ethic. I can't tell them to, hey, go study film and go be a player of the game if yeah. I'm not doing the same thing in my current role as well. So I'm very vocal. Uh, you have to play with energy. That's how you play great defenses. Uh, 
anyone who's a football fan, if you love the defense play, it's probably because they're flying around and uh, having fun. And I just want to, you know, show that and model that to my players. I'm looking forward to seeing who's going to uh, be replacing Davion Inyang. He's been a baller the last couple of years around here, Coach, and there's going to be a lot of competition at spring and fall practice to see who takes over for number five. Oh, yeah, definitely it is. He made a lot of plays uh, for our defense last year. Uh, but like I said, he missed a few games, and a lot of young guys stepped up. Uh, with Justin Prince, he missed a few games last year. So it's going to be very talented uh, and competitive uh, this spring because it's a lot of talented guys in this safety room. Fantastic. Now, because you went ahead and uh, had some time uh, with the Broncos out of college, are you a Broncos fan in the NFL? Who's your team? Uh, I have so many friends uh, in the NFL. I, ju- I just sit back on Sundays and, and Monday nights and watch the game and, you know, hope everyone does well, and I just sit back and, you know, enjoy football. Who is your – if you had to have one go-to contact in your Rolodex for sports, and it's uh, – I'm talking about the biggest name that, that you can put into your phone, and you had give him a call, spur of the moment, he'd come and say hello to you, who would that be? Biggest sports name in your Rolodex right now? Uh. I have a few. I'll say the biggest one, just because I, I talked to him probably a couple times a week, and I talked to him today. But uh, Tyler Lockett. Uh, I mean, we grew up together. We've been friends since about the fourth or fifth grade. Played on the same sports teams until from fifth grade all the way throughout college until he left and went off to Seattle. So I'll probably say Tyler Lockett. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he made it down here on a bye week or in the summer for a few games or to stop by for practice as well. I love that. By the way, that was who Adrian picked. Adrian said Tyler Lockett before <laughs> you even answered that question. So good job, Adrian. Way to go. Yeah, that's, Tulsa that's guys, right? Absolutely. All right, listen, Dante, it's a terrific opportunity for you. I'm very happy you're here. We're looking forward to getting to meet you face-to-face. In the meantime, great job coming on with us, giving us a little talk here this hour, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you once uh, spring ball starts up here in a couple weeks. All right, no problem. Thanks for having me on the show. Can't wait to meet you guys. and I'm enjoying El Paso. Good to hear. He's Dante Barnett, UTEP's newest assistant coach for the safeties as we continue here on Sports Talk. 19 pass. Let's go to Charlie 1 for traffic. Come back with more in a moment. 600 ESPN El Paso. Back on Sports Talk as we continue. Alfred and Deidre needed to sell their west side home because they were moving to another city. And then they reached out to Brian Birds and his team. And guess what? Alfred and Deidre now had access to the best resources and information to get their home sold. Very quickly, the home sold for the full price. Alfred and Deidre had a great experience and were able to move forward with their plans. And guess what? That was thanks to one person and one person only, Brian Birds of the Brian Birds Home Selling Team, powered by EXP Realty. In fact, are you worried about leaving money on the table if you sell your home? Don't worry. In the El Paso area, there's often lots of delays to getting a home sold, with timelines not being met by appraisers, lenders, builders, and other vendors. But no matter what the obstacle is, Brian and his team know how to get it done. So... All you got to do is reach out to Brian Birds of the Brian Birds Home Selling Team powered by EXP Realty and give him a call. It's the only person I would call because I trust him. 751-1500, online at brianbirds.com, or you can even Google Brian Birds. And that's B-U-R-D-S and start packing. And next thing you know, your story will be one of those success stories here on Sports Talk.
Joe Golding. Not to mention, we'll also get the opportunity to uh, talk uh, a little sports with Teich. Looking forward to that. We've got a lot more to catch up on with uh, the voice of the Miners. And we'll do that here in, in just a little bit. Uh, meanwhile, 8805763, that is our telephone number as we continue here on Sports Talk. Uh, so I wrote a story today about um, Chapin star KJ Lewis and ultimately what he's trying to go through. Now, I'm going to tell you something right now. The local officials who read this story are probably not going to like it because they're going to say to themselves, hey, why, um, you know, why are you pointing out that ultimately you know, we call it differently for KJ than everybody else? But the fact is they do. All right. Um, the game on Monday where KJ gets tossed for the five uh, after the, the, you know, the fouling out, um, I saw the video of his fourth foul call. Or I should say this, the phantom fourth foul call. Did nothing. And um, talk a lot to Colin and Nate. They, they've been following KJ a lot the last couple of years. And they both say the same thing, that in any game there are multiple calls, foul calls on him that are not fouls. And ultimately, because, um, and I don't know if they're trying to even it out. I have no idea. I'm not an official. I can't answer that question. I've got friends that are officials. uh, Probably won't like the story. But ultimately, Adrian, KJ, um, you know, when you're you're on a different level than everybody else, it poses a problem. It poses problems to the opposition. It poses problems to the officiating crew. How do you do it the right way is the question. And ultimately, the fourth foul that he had on Monday was not a foul. In fact, he did nothing. He just moved, and he didn't, he didn't reach in, didn't do anything. It was whistled for the fourth foul. And I kind of wonder, if that's his fourth foul, which of course led to the fifth foul and eventually the ejection, uh, the double technical, how often does that happen when he's playing defense, gets whistled for something, and ultimately, you know, it, there's nothing there? Yeah, a pair of times I've seen KJ this year, uh, yeah, he was definitely officiated differently. When he would go up against smaller guys, he's 6'4", so when he'd go up against smaller guys, when he'd be aggressive on defense, which is one of his best uh, attributes as a player, uh, they would call reach-in fouls that I just thought were very ticky-tack. So the question is this, okay? Again, he's 6'4", but he's not built like your normal 6'4 player in El Paso. And let's be honest, there's a lot of 6'4 kids here that are, you know, that are playing the post and not playing the guard spot. And if they are six four guards, when they jump up, they're not going to have the um, you know they're not going to come up to uh, to KJ and uh, be able to go you know um, body for body with him. They're going to be they're they're going to maybe come up to um, his shoulders or other parts. And that's another thing. Okay, a lot of the times he will get undercut when he drives to the basket, and it's I don't know if it's because people are trying to injure him or if it's just because people are smaller than him and they can't elevate. And they can't do. They can't get up like he can get up to contest shots. And ultimately, you know, it's 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 a, it's a little dangerous. Yeah, we played our, our share of pickup basketball. We know that when you go up against better opponents, sometimes you uh, you kind of find yourself a little lost, and you you go up and you almost uh, foul them a little aggressive. Now that better player might look at you and say, "What are you doing, man?" And I feel like that happens a lot with KJ when he's going up against other people. He's just simply outmatching these guys, mm-hmm. and he's a uh, you know he's physical, and he and he he shows that on the court too. Bottom of the hour, um, I do want to get to Fernie because he just got on the phones to talk about this story. But first. Let's go right now to Adrian and get one last bottom of the hour Sports Center update. Eight eight zero five seven six three. That is our telephone number. As we continue now, let's go to Fernie. Joins us next on the lines. Fernie, what's going on? How are you? Hey, what's going on, guys? You tell us, man. I mean, it's it's, it's so crazy that it's. I mean, we're all talking about this. You know, it's high school kid and 
<laughs> everybody's discussing and I mean, it is what it is, you know. Now let's and, now uh, hang on a second. Now let's 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 talk about that right there. Okay, so I know we call him a high school kid, but you got to realize something. Number one, he's got more high major offers than anybody else I could ever remember in El Paso. When he's a junior, number one, he's got pretty much every uh, high major in the country after him. And number two, he's a legitimate NBA prospect at, in high school. Think about that. Fernie, that doesn't happen here. It, it hardly ever happens, period. But in El Paso, we never see something like this. No, you're right, man. I mean, it's just I, I, I haven't seen any recruiting, uh, recruiting like that from a from El Paso as I've seen this this kid and I don't know I, I saw that layup or whatever he was doing and he kind of bumped that kid oh that and was listen the, the, you talk about the foul that he fouled out on oh that was an yeah. obvious offensive foul call okay there's yeah, well, yeah. and, and, and understand we're not debating that that was an offensive charge okay but then he gets double technicaled up and gets thrown out of the game for the first time in his in his life they got an area game tomorrow that they're going to, or I don't know if it's tomorrow. Is it, uh, do we know when Friday. it's Friday? Friday. Uh-huh. They're going to have to play Friday without him. Hopefully they could beat Tescosa without him. But if they don't, that's the last game he's playing this season. And, and we're talking about ultimately, you know, will we even see KJ Lewis play high school ball in El Paso next year? I don't know the answer to that question. No, and that's, that's what I was thinking about is like, what's the point? You know, if yep. he doesn't, you know, because you, you got these universities recruiting him and stuff, and he's going to get paid. Obviously, but he's going to get paid because that's the way it is. That's true. NIL uh, has made it easy now. It's made it legal for them to do that, and you're 100 exactly, percent right. Man. Wherever it's, wherever it's, he goes, he's going to cash out, no doubt. He's, he's going to cash out at Tech at Arizona, where, wherever he's going to go, he's going to cash out. But it's crazy that we're talking about it. But you know that that little foul that he did was that was uncalled for. I mean, he's still a kid, you know, and uh, his parents to to jump on on that. It, that was even more, but I, I don't know. And, and you're right. I think I think you know you've had some players coming out of El Paso, but it's it, you know it's not a, a basketball town, right? But I mean, obviously this 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 kid stands out. Well, we saw Tristan Newton you know. a couple of years ago, and he's dropping twenty a game at East Carolina right now. I remember uh, which is a Kenny Thomas man when he yep. went to New Mexico and stuff. That. He was a beast in high school. And he left El Paso his senior year. Remember, he didn't stick around his senior year. He went to Albuquerque, yeah, and then he went to uh, UNM. Yeah, he did. And he was, he was you know, that was, he was exceptional. He was. You know, and that's not what we're known for is, you know, and this kid is, you know, that's a lot of pressure on this kid, you know. But I, I think, like I, like I said before, I don't, I don't, I just don't see him playing a senior year. For what, you know, depending on how the college athletics is, especially with, you know, where you you can pay these kids. Yeah, I just don't. I mean, I can't see an El Paso team winning state, you know, at that level, and you know that's what he would want to do. I mean, why not? I mean, you might as well just go all the way instead of going pro. I don't know if he could go pro, but let's just say instead of going pro, is just you might as well go play one or two years, and you know he's done. But it doesn't matter anymore because you're still getting paid pretty well, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, so we'll see you guys, man. Um, go miners on on Saturday. It's going to be a lot of fun, and appreciate the phone call. And uh, looking forward to getting back at home to watch the miners play, aren't you? It's going to be good. Back to KJ for just a second, though. It, it's it is really tough because if you stay here and you think you've got a legitimate shot to win a state title, that's one thing. 
But other than that, the only other reason KJ would stay in El Paso and play his senior year is he loves the city so much, he doesn't want to leave. And that's it. And likes his coaches, likes his teammates, and just wants to stay at Chapin. That would be the only reason. Because in all honesty, there is nothing here from a high school standpoint that benefits KJ. It benefits everybody else, but for him, it doesn't. So... You know, if KJ decides to go and play a senior bus, senior someplace else, I don't. I can't blame him for that. Not at all. He's different than everybody we get around here. He is just a. He is on a totally different level than anyone we get uh, most of the times. And I forget most of them. All the time, we don't get this. When was the last time El Paso had a top twenty-five prospect in a high school class? Never. I mean, you never see this. This is uh, once-in-a-generation type of talent right here in K.J. Lewis. And uh, let's be honest, you want him here in El Paso to give more exposure to the local athletes here. 100%. 100%. Let's go back to the phones. Here is uh, Minor Eddie Mack joining us on the show. What's going on, Ed? What's going on? Hi, Steve. How are you? I'm doing well, Ed. How about yourself? Oh, good. You bleeding hey, orange you? and blue today, pal? <laughs> I'm going to die orange and blue, Steve. There you go. You're going to buy yourself an orange and blue casket and just tell them to lower me in the ground and uh, make sure it's all decked out minor style? There you go. All right. Very nice. Or uh, or an urn if you want to be cremated. You can always just go orange and blue urn. It doesn't, doesn't have to be a casket. You can know whatever you want. That's fine. But let's not let's – let's stay alive for a while, Ed. Let's not worry about our, uh, you know, our plans after we're done. So tell me what's going on. What do you have? Okay, so I wanted to throw I wanted to throw this out at you. I really think that UTEP's football schedule next year, I think we're going to lose those two games, those two teams, which are going to be the Southern Miss game and the Old Dominion game. So I think those teams are going to be gone, right? Um, it's very so, possible, yes. Which, again, I, I think I know where you're going on this. And I, and I said this last week when we were talking about the schedule. I'm hoping CUSA came up with an alternate schedule. So that way, if there's 11 schools instead of 14, they can roll out the new schedule because it's very possible that that's going to be happening, that they made two versions, one with 14 that they released, one with 11 they've got just in case this happens. Okay, well, let's just say for the sake of argument, they lose those two games, and I don't know what their alternative schedule is, but here's what I was thinking, and I thought this was just a creative twist. So the Southern Miss game is the home game, so we – we lose that game and we replace it with an early game like we had last year in early in late August. So that would be before the Oklahoma State game or the Oklahoma game. That would be a Division Two game like it was last year, and that would be a prep for the Oklahoma game. And then we would replace the Old Dominion game with somebody on the mid level, you know, like a Toledo or a Troy or somebody like that or even somebody on the bottom end of one of the major conferences. Why don't they just, That's, wait a minute, why don't they just play eight conference games and play different teams? What the heck's wrong with you? I mean, come on, think about it. If they came up with another schedule, they're not just going to, they're not, well, it, it is CUSA. I can't actually speak for them because they do things that defy logic, and sometimes stupidity runs in this conference more than other leagues. But that being said, Ed, if they came up with another schedule, then they're just going to put a whole new group of conference opponents in, and that'll be the end of that. Right, and I agree with what you're saying, but the problem is, are you really going to get people excited about seeing about somebody that's already going to be leaving? And that's my point. Wouldn't you rather just see somebody like... No, I don't care who they play as long as they win. 
I don't care. Southern Miss sucks. If you could beat them, that's good. That's a, that, pencil that in as a W. And Old Dominion, uh, I mean, that's that's still a winnable game. I mean, you know, if they stick around and that conference and that schedule stays the same way, I'd rather I'd rather see two W's out of those games than suddenly uh, the the alternative that you just mentioned right now. Well, I'm I'm assuming that those two games are going to be gone. I'm I'm assuming that at the end of June they're going to be gone. That's what they want to do anyhow. Then they'll put two other teams that are not on the schedule right now, but still in the league, to play instead. I don't know, Steve. I got a difference of opinion with you because I'm. I'm not going to get excited about those other teams that are coming in. This conference is already going to be decimated as it is. So what do you want to do, not play football games next year? No, what I'm saying is if you play a, a Division II school. That, you be, uh, but you benefit nothing from that. Division, you don't want Division II. That's an inferior game. What do you want that for? We've been, we've been doing that for the last three, four years. Anyhow, we played Northern Arizona. We played uh, this what was it, Cookman team last Bethune year? Bethune-Cookman. But they don't need that. Yeah. They don't need that right now. They won seven games last year. They don't need D2. They don't need D2 on the schedule. Okay, I'll tell you what. Give me some time, and I'll come up with some alternative teams. How's that? Fair enough. I'll look forward to hearing from you. Give me, give me, throw, things, throw better stuff at me than D2. Come on now. Come on, Ed. Appreciate that, though. Thanks for the phone call. I mean, look, I'm looking at the Utah football future schedules, right? So... Um, in 2023, they do have Incarnate Word. There's your there's your game. Hey, that's awesome. Mac Leftwich coming back to UTEP. That will be fun. At Arizona, at NMSU, home against UNLV. By the way, that NMSU game is going to be off. To, that's, that's a regular conference game. They're going to have to find a new opponent on uh, October 7th. Very true. That's exactly right. So that'll be interesting. I'm sure there'll be a money game involved there. 2024, they've got... Oh, my God. Nebraska, Colorado State, and Tennessee on the road. Guaranteed you'll find a D2 uh, somewhere in that schedule. You know that's coming. And then 2025, they've got Texas on the road. They'll play their D2s. They will, yeah. But now that New Mexico State opens up as a conference game, that's going to give them a new date every year, and we'll see how UTEP handles that. That's going to be fun. Maybe we'll get some home-and-homes. That would be nice. Yeah, oh, now you're thinking outside the box. I like that idea. Yeah, why does it have to be a money game? Why can't it be a home-and-home? Yeah, we could definitely do that. Why Heck not? Yeah, we yeah. could. All right. John Teicher is uh, waiting patiently. He'll be joining us next. Final countdown right here. 600 ESPN El Paso and Sports Talk.